Hello, ladies. This is Dr. Melissa Rich, and you are listening to Taking Care of Your Temple. This is episode 36, and this is called Claim Your New Identity Part 1, because there will be a part two. There's a lot of material on this one. So for those of you who are not familiar with this podcast, the object that I try to do in every episode is to help women connect with God regularly and to use his grace, power, and strength and wisdom and all the things to help them improve their physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual health. There are four principles that we use to do this. The first one is to keep our focus on God. This is the one that sounds so easy. I mean, of course, we need to do that, right? We all know that. It is so difficult. We are distracted all the time. Next is acknowledging that we are not enough on our own. Y'all, we are not smart enough, strong enough, rich enough, pretty enough, whatever it is. We are not enough on our own. And the older that I get, I guess that's one of the benefits of getting older, the more I realize, yeah, I really need his help, like in everything. And he is happy to give it to us if we ask him for it. Next is remembering it is about progress, not about perfection. Thank goodness, right? Because if we were all having to be perfect, I mean, I don't know about y'all, but I would be in a lot of trouble. I suspect you would too. But that's not what it's about. As long as we are moving forward and learning things, we're doing good. And then the last thing is to work on consciously changing our thoughts. We're actually going to be talking a lot about that in this episode today. Our thoughts are powerful. They affect everything, how we think, act, feel, how we connect with God. So being aware of what they are and changing them is a really powerful thing to do. The verse for this podcast is 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? I mean, really, what an appropriate verse for the podcast. I just love that, that I found that. Okay, I try to start off, try to remember to start off every episode with the prayer. So let me do that now. Lord, I just thank you so much for allowing me to do this podcast. I, I think this is such an important topic because we all are trying to change our identities all the time. So I ask your blessings on this. I ask your blessings on the people who are listening, that this will be helpful for them, that they will receive it and really be able to use this to improve their lives. Thank you for loving us, Lord. Amen. So my goal is to do this podcast on a weekly basis. So far, so good. And to give you guys some good tools and tips that will help you feel and function better. Sometimes on this podcast, I have guests. I did that last time. I had two amazing guests. This time, it's just me. You're welcome. We are going to be talking about changing your identity. And when I say that, I'm not talking about going into witness protection. That is one way to change your identity. That's not what I mean. What I'm talking about is, have you ever been really excited about accomplishing something? Maybe some goal that you've set for yourself. Maybe you wanted to start eating healthier, learn how to play the guitar, get into better shape, become a better cook, train your dog to behave better. And if y'all want to do that one and you do your dog, you can come and do mine next. Just saying. All of those are really good goals, and you may have been able to achieve some of them, good for you, but there are probably others that you never quite managed to conquer. And because of that, because you weren't able to do those things that you wanted to do, you probably felt bummed out, unworthy, incompetent, or just flat out like a failure. So what happened? You had your goals all set out. You were really excited about making those changes. You had things all lined up and were ready to go. But somehow, 
things either never got finished or just really didn't even get started at all. And it's such a disappointment. The good news is this is not just you. Change is hard for all of us, even if the change is something that we really want or even really need. I knew a woman a while back who had, I think she had a stroke and fell is what happened and really hurt herself. Nothing was broken, but it was scary because she was on the floor for a while before somebody found her. So then she was in a wheelchair for a while until she kind of got her mobility back. Well, then she was afraid to get out of the wheelchair. She was afraid to walk because she was afraid she would fall again. So even though everybody was telling her, her family, doctors, nurses, physical therapists were all saying, really, you have to get out and walk or you're going to lose the ability to walk. She wouldn't leave her wheelchair. And guess what? She is still in her wheelchair. And I get that sometimes change is really scary. I mean, that's a really good example. But sometimes the alternative is worse. Sometimes even though it's scary, it's better than the alternative. So why do we struggle so much with change? Even if there are things that we know we need to change and we want to change. Here are 10 reasons that I found. One is the unknown can be scary. Y'all, we are familiar with what we have. Even if we don't like it, we know it. It's not an unknown quantity. And we're kind of comfortable with it, maybe in a bad way, but we're comfortable with being 100 pounds overweight. We know it. We know what that's like. So the unknown is scary. We don't want to go there. Next, and this is a big one, change is a lot of work, time, and effort. And it can seem totally overwhelming, and we just don't want to go there. Like the lady who didn't want to try to walk again. It was scary. I mean, it was going to be a lot of work to learn how to walk again, so we don't try. Sometimes the uh, issue is we are really overly concerned about what other people are going to think about us if we try to do X or stop doing X. We are really overly self-conscious, so that kind of influences us, so we stay where we are. Another big one, I've definitely dealt with this, and I've had clients who have too, Being disciplined is boring, a lot of work, and it's just not fun. We'd much rather be undisciplined and do whatever we want. I talked with a client about this yesterday, about the fact that sometimes we have to tell ourselves, you're not 12 years old anymore. Okay, get over yourself. You have to do whatever it is. But that is what our subconscious is telling us. It, It wants to do things that are fun. The problem is things that are fun, a lot of times short term, Do not have fun results long-term, even though it's kind of what we want to do. Next is that we tend to have unrealistic expectations. This kind of goes with the next one, is that a lot of times we do want things to be different, but we want them to be different immediately. We have absolutely no patience. I can truthfully raise my hand on this one, been there, done that. Yeah, I want instant gratification. I was thinking the other day, I have this company that I order craft supplies from that I love, but they take forever to get here. I just ordered some things and it took over two weeks to get to me. Y'all, I'm used to Amazon. Next day, it's there. And and so that really kind of feeds into this whole instant gratification thing. I know that things are going to get to me, but it's really hard. For me to be paid, honestly, I probably checked the site like five times a day. Where is my order? Where is it? It was on the way. 
I finally got it yesterday. Not my favorite thing. So then there is the fear of failure. What if whatever we try doesn't work? What if we totally mess up, fall on our faces, and make idiots of ourselves? It's not fun. So that can stop us. Another one is that mm, we kind of sort of want things to be different. We know that they should be, but we're not fully committed or motivated. There's an old Stephen Curtis Chapman song called Dive. And part of it is, so here I go. I'm diving in. I'm going deep in over my head. I want to be caught in the rush, lost in the flow, in over my head. I want to go. The river's deep. The river's wide. The river's water is alive. Great song. But we don't always want to do that. We don't want to jump right in. We want to kind of stick our toe in the water a little bit, see how it feels, think about it. Yeah, we... We're not that motivated or committed. And if we're not, because change is hard, that lack of motivation makes it harder. Another thing is that, and this is a valid one, y'all, because I've been there. We just don't have anybody to help or encourage us. And it's tough to do it alone. Back when I was first starting to try to lose weight, again, I was about 70 pounds overweight. I kept thinking, if I could find a weight loss buddy, that would make things so much easier. If I could have somebody that, you know... I could call them and they could call me and we could encourage each other and be accountable. That would be so great. I never could find anybody. And I did have one friend who I was telling her about it. She said, well, you know, I could kind of do it with you. I, I could, I need to lose like 10 pounds. And I'm like, oh. I mean, my friend is tall, thin and gorgeous. And I was like, thank you so much. I appreciate it, but I do not want you to be my weight loss buddy. You may need to lose 10 pounds and I have to lose 75. No, thank you. I mean, it was nice. I appreciated the effort, but yeah, that wasn't what I wanted. Um, and it can be hard to do it by yourself. So, so this is kind of a valid one. And all I can tell you is keep looking, keep looking, find somebody. And then the last one is, what if people laugh at us? What if we look really stupid or silly? That would be really embarrassing. So we let that also paralyze us and stop us from doing what we need to do. Okay. Those are some reasons, not all good reasons, but those are some reasons why change is difficult. Now I want to look at there are five stages of change. This is from the Trans Theoretical Model of Behavioral Change by James hmm, Prochaska. James, if I butchered your last name, I am so sorry. Um, be aware that you do not necessarily, I'm, I'm giving you the stages in order. We do not necessarily go through them in order. We can skip around, hop back and forth. That's pretty normal. So don't feel bad if you were doing that. But here are the five stages. The first one is pre-contemplation. We are aware that probably something needs to be different. It's kind of, you know, nibbling at the edge of our consciousness. We're not ready to do anything about it yet. We're becoming aware that oh, we probably should. The next stage is contemplation. This is where we admit that we need to change, but we're still not sure that we are ready to commit to doing anything differently. We know we should. Now we've admitted it. We need to do whatever it is or stop doing whatever it is. We're not there yet. Next stage is preparation. We make the decision to start the process. So we may have taken some preliminary steps. We may have bought a package of classes from the local yoga studio. We haven't taken any classes yet, but we bought the package. So we're, we're getting there. Then the fourth stage is the action stage. That's what it sounds like. We start to do things differently. We make adjustments in our lives and our routines 
to make room for the changes that we are implementing. And then the last stage is maintenance. This is where we sustain the change and we make it long-term. The good news on this is that a lot of changes become self-sustaining once we start them because we've changed our identity. So an example for me is if you had told me probably 15 years ago that I would become a person who exercises several times a day and literally cannot get through the day without exercising because it bothers me, I would have laughed in your face. There was no way. Once I started, and it was a gradual process, but once I really got into it, yeah, that change became self-sustaining. I worked out. I felt good. I worked out some more. I felt better. I kept doing it. So it does get easier as you do it. So another very likely reason that you have struggled and failed, and y'all, I've done this plenty of times myself, is because when you were making the change or trying to make the change, you were going against your identity. And our minds work really hard to protect our identity. So let me give you an example to show you what I mean. Let's say that you have smoked for 20 plus years and you have decided you need to quit. And I get a lot of clients like this at Waco Hypnosis Center. So you have your reasons for quitting all lined up. Your health will improve. That's a good one. The Surgeon General says that quitting smoking is the single most important thing a smoker can do to improve their overall health and well-being. Just quitting smoking. Putting cigarettes down. Sounds easy, right? Next is smoking is expensive. Y'all, I have never smoked, but I know in some places a pack of cigarettes is $10. And there are a lot of people who smoke two packs a day. I can't even do the math. Uh, that's $20 a day times... I don't have my phone with me, so I can't do the calculator times seven. I think that's $140 a week. Oh my gosh, $140 a week. So that's like almost $600 a month. That may be wrong. Math is not my strong suit, but but it's a lot of money. Smoking is expensive. So you've decided you could use that money in better ways. Also, smoking is inconvenient. In the, you know, in this country, it is really difficult to find a place, especially indoors, where you can smoke. There just aren't that many. Now, I know I, I'm actually working with a lady to stop smoking who just got back from Europe. She lived there for a year and a half. And she's like, everybody smokes everywhere. It's a little bit different. But here, we don't as much. So you may have to go outside in bad weather in order to be able to smoke. It's just not very convenient. And another one reason, to put it nicely, is that you smell. And you're tired of not smelling good. So you've got all your reasons. You are psyched up. You are ready to go. Because in a few days or a few weeks, whatever your date is, you will be a non-smoker and you can't wait. You've thrown away all your cigarettes, your smoking paraphernalia. You wake up on SS day, which is stop smoking day. And you look forward to changing. Start out pretty good. You do okay for the first few hours. You're at work. You're staying busy. But after a while, things start to get harder. A project that you've worked on for the past few weeks hits a snag. And you realize that you are going to have to repeat, go back and repeat or redo several hours of work in order to get things back on track. That's always so much fun. Next, a coworker takes lunch orders and goes out to get lunches and brings them back. Your order was completely screwed up. And there's nothing in there that you want to eat. So you are starving. Next, on the drive home, there's an accident on the freeway. You get stuck in stop and go traffic. I don't know if that ever happens to you all, but I have been there. 
you get home hot, irritated, edgy. So you stop at a convenience home near your house and guess what you do? You go in and buy a pack of cigarettes and a lighter. You get home, you head out to the backyard, you light up. Your spouse sees you and asks what happens, what asks what happened. And you say, I guess I'm just not cut out to be a non-smoker. You feel guilty, disappointed, and like a failure. And you're asking yourself things like, why is this so hard? Other people quit. Why can't I? Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I'm weak-willed. Maybe it just wasn't meant to be. And the thing is, y'all, all of the above statements, they are wrong. The reason you didn't quit is because you went against your identity as a smoker. You tried to quit the behavior, which was smoking, without changing your identity from a smoker to a non-smoker. So it didn't work. Now, you can do that. I've known people who do this, but it's much, much harder. If you work on changing your identity as well as your behavior, you very likely would have been successful. That's what I'm going to show you how to do on this episode. And I've helped hundreds to thousands of clients do it for years. It's doable. Whatever new identity you want to assume is perfectly possible. You just need to know how to do it. And that is what this episode is going to help you with. So let's get started. Okay, so if you're going to change your identity, the first step is you need to figure out what am I telling myself? You need to figure out the messages that you are giving yourself on a regular basis about the change that you want to make. Now, this can be a lot harder than it sounds because usually those messages just run on automatic pilot. You're not even aware of them. And most of us really don't consciously tell ourselves that we need a drink or another cigarette or a fattening snack. Well, maybe the fattening snack. We may tell ourselves we need that. But most of the time, those thoughts just pop into your head. They're they're just there. They appear almost on their own. You're not aware of thinking them. They really are on this totally subconscious level. And a lot of times you really don't want to do what they're telling you to do. But it's telling you to, your mind is telling you to do that anyway. So I'm going to give you a case study or an example to show you what I mean. And I want to make a note here. These examples that I'm giving are compilations of clients I've worked with over the years. Names and specific situations have been changed. So I'm not targeting anybody. I'm just kind of taking the most common elements. Okay, we're going to talk about Cassie. Cassie is about 50 pounds overweight. She's been that way for the past five years. She was pretty slim in high school and in college. But after that, she became much less active and began to put on weight. And this is a very common dilemma for men and women alike. She's tried to lose weight repeatedly with somewhat mixed success. Typically, she'll do pretty well for a few days. Then, gradually, things will happen, like the whole stressors that happened uh, in the last example I gave, whatever it is, and she will gradually again start to eat processed, sugary, fatty foods again and regain any weight that she had lost. She puts it right back on again. One of the big problems here is that Cassie's identity is that of an overweight, out-of-shape person. She doesn't really like that identity, but she is used to it. And we are drawn, y'all, to the familiar, to what you're used to. Even if we don't like it, we're comfortable with it. So when she starts eating or acting healthier, her mind starts giving her messages like, well, just one bite of that brownie won't hurt. You deserve it. I love that one. 
you've already walked for 10 minutes. You can do the rest of it tomorrow. Or your grandmother made that cake for you because she knows it's your favorite. You have to have some, otherwise you will hurt her feelings. Do you know how much food I've eaten in the past to not hurt people's feelings? Hurt my body instead, but you know, I didn't hurt their feelings. Cassie's mind is trying to preserve her identity as an overweight, out-of-shape person. Not necessarily because that is what's best for Cassie, but because change can be hard, scary, and unknown. We talked about that earlier. Our minds gravitate, gravitate, sorry, toward what is known and comfortable, even if it's unhealthy. So it's important to remember that sometimes we should not pay attention to what our brains are telling us to do because it's not necessarily the best thing for us, especially if we're trying to make healthy changes. Our brains can be very resistant toward that. So if you're trying to make a change of any kind and you are having a hard time with it, odds are your brain is just not making it easy for you. So you need to make a note of the messages that you have been giving yourself. And you need to do it over a couple of days because you will think of things randomly. You can carry around a pad of paper and pen if you're old school or just use your phone. Every time you realize your brain is telling you something about whatever it is that you're trying to change or you would like to change, jot it down. Now, sometimes it's tough to figure out what your brain is telling you, what those messages are. So if that's the case, ask people who know you and who are around you regularly how you act in regard to whatever the behavior is that you are wanting to quit. So, for example... Uh, you're trying to exercise more often, but you just can't seem to get going. If you try to figure out what you're telling yourself regularly and come up empty, try asking family and friends things like, how do I usually act when I start working out? What reactions, or sorry, what reasons do I typically give for not exercising? What do I tell you? Uh-huh. How do I look when I exercise? Like happy, bored, stress, etc. A lot of times it can be easier for other people to be more objective about what you're doing than for you to be objective about what you're doing. So once you realize what those regular messages are, figure out how they affect you, as in thoughts, feelings, or actions. So a good way to do this is to say, when I tell myself that, and I'm going to fill some of the blanks in, that I deserve to eat my favorite fattening foods, I end up feeling physically too full, stuffed, bloated, and emotionally guilty. Then I tell myself, well, I've already fallen off the wagon. I might as well keep eating. So I end up eating a whole bag of chips or a full package of cookies, and I feel miserable. So it's the, when I tell myself, blah, 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 then I feel or do blah, blah, blah. Here's another couple of examples. When I tell myself that it's okay to smoke one more cigarette and no one will ever know, I feel like a failure. I get really mad at myself and feel really frustrated because it seems like I have absolutely no willpower. I end up smoking a whole pack of cigarettes and I hate that. One more. When I tell myself that this project at work is really important and I need to stay late to finish things instead of going to my daughter's softball game, I feel like a terrible parent. I feel so guilty for breaking my promise to her that I end up buying something to try to make it up to her. Okay, so when I tell myself blah, 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 then I feel or act, blah, blah. So you can kind of figure out what you're doing. You've probably been in some of those examples at one time or another. I know I have, but don't worry. We are not going to stay stuck there. Keep going 
and we're going to see how to get unstuck and how to move forward. So the action steps for step one, identify the messages you give yourself regularly, write them down as you think of them, and if necessary, ask other people what you say or do in those areas regularly if, you, if you're having trouble thinking of it. Okay, step two. Now what? Well, you zeroed in on the typical message messages that you give yourself, and you have a pretty good idea of what your inner programming is and how it affects you. Now, you need to figure out what is in those messages that is keeping you stuck or preventing you from moving forward. This is where we go back to those messages that we give ourselves a lot and kind of dissect them a little bit more to try to get to the deeper meaning. This is the point where our childhood and our past kind of come into play. If we can understand what we're really telling ourselves and what our brain is trying to do, it will be easier to change the messages and get a different, more positive and healthier set of results. So here's another example. This is the successful executive. Antonio is a successful executive for a marketing firm. He's been with the company for the past six years, and he has been moving steadily up the ladder. He does awesome at work, but his personal life is not so great. Antonio is in his mid-40s. He has been divorced twice. He has three kids. He's currently dating Carla, a woman who is warm and loving with two kids of her own. He would really like to eventually marry Carla because he loves her, but he's concerned because of his past track record in the romance department. His two ex-wives both accused him of being a workaholic and an absent father. He realizes they were probably right, and he often has trouble understanding how that happened. He loved both of his wives and all of his kids. He always had good intentions, but somehow they rarely got carried out. So Carla is aware of his struggles, and she's recommended some books, some videos to kind of help him understand how he keeps sabotaging himself. After reading the books, watching the videos, he realizes that the messages he's been giving himself are really important. As he becomes aware of those messages, he jots them down on his phone for the next few days. His list has the following messages, and most of them are delivered in a completely unconscious method. He's usually not even aware of them. So here's some of the messages. The best way I can show my family that I love them is by work, working hard and providing well for them. That's a typical male message. Next, if I don't work long hours, I'll turn out like my dad, unemployed and unsuccessful. You can see where the past is coming in. Next, I can always spend time with my kids later. Right now, I need to provide for them. Next, one day, I'll take my family on a great vacation. Then they'll thank me. Y'all, I have a plaque in my house, I think in one of my bookcases, that says, someday is not a day of the week. So true. So very true. Next, staying at the office late tonight will help me get this project under control. I'll make it up to them tomorrow. Okay, I want to say on this one, Doing this occasionally, once a month or so, that's not a big deal, okay? Doing it several times a week, yeah, that's not good. And then last one, this is no time to let up at work. I need to come in early and leave late to show my boss that I'm a good employee and avoid ever getting fired, okay? After looking over the list of things he tells himself, Antonio realizes that, you know what? He is comparing himself to his father. Y'all probably picked up on that. Because of his father's poor work record, Antonio's family moved a lot 
when he was growing up. And that made it really difficult for him, for Antonio to make friends and connect with his classmates. So when he looks over those messages, he becomes aware of the following themes that those messages are following. One is the only way to be successful is to work hard constantly. That's a big one that he tells himself. Next is enjoying life is for later. The problem is, guess what? Later may never come. Next, a man's main job is to provide for his family. Again, that's not a bad message as long as you don't take it to extremes. Next, being fired or losing a job would be horrible, something that happens only to losers. And so, of course, he's trying very hard not to be a loser. Next, saying no to his boss or coworkers could increase the chances of his being fired. Again, being a loser. So putting limits on the hours that he is willing to work or the number of projects he's willing to tackle is not a safe thing to do. So guess what? He's not doing it. Now Antonio has a pretty good idea of what he's been telling himself, how it's gotten him where he is, and why his personal life is in such a mess. But he's not sure how to fix it. Sound familiar? Yeah. You may have the same question. We're going to get to that. So action steps for step two. Look at how the messages affect you in your thoughts, actions, and feelings, and try to figure out what in those messages is keeping you stuck or stopping you from moving forward. Okay, step three. Figure out what you want, what you really, really want. That sound like a song by the Spice Girls? Yeah, I took it right from there. I was, thought that was clever. Um, once you know what messages you give yourself regularly, and you are aware of how those messages affect your thoughts, feelings, and actions, and have figured out how they've kept you stuck or stopped you from moving forward, now you can figure out where and how you want to be instead. This can sound easy, but a lot of people end up getting trapped here again. They know they're not happy where they are. They're here at A, okay? They don't like it. They really want to be over here at P, whatever. Um, It just seems like so much work to get there. So they kind of draw a blank or they get overwhelmed. They start thinking about all the things that are going to have to happen in order to get from point A to point P or wherever they want to go. Change change seems totally impossible. So a lot of times they give up before they even get started. Don't make that mistake. Here are some pointers for this step. One is avoid overthinking or over planning. Y'all don't look too far forward. And a lot of people do this. Just focus on the present and maybe the next few weeks. Don't worry about 10 years down the line. You don't have to map out your entire future at this point because, and this goes with the next point, what you think you want now is probably going to change somewhere down the line, at least a little bit. We're always tweaking things. Change is a process. It's okay. So it's change is not an end destination. Give yourself some grace. Next. If you have absolutely no idea what you want, and a lot of people are there, try going with the opposite of what you have now or where you are. And here's some examples of what I mean. If you are an overweight couch potato who thinks walking to the mailbox is a chore, tell yourself that you just want to be more active and enjoy moving more. Kind of the opposite of where you are now. If you have smoked for the past 30 years and you can't imagine never doing it again, Tell yourself you just want to enjoy having clean lungs and being able to breathe easier. 
If you are a huge procrastinator, and I will say this is not this is not one that I usually have very much, um, who is always running behind and can't even fathom what it would be like to get things done in a timely manner, tell yourself you want to enjoy not feeling rushed and frantic when you have a project due. Instead, you want to get things done before deadlines and you want to feel relaxed and happy by how efficient you are and surprise everybody. Concentrate, this is the next step, on how you want to think, feel, and act in the future. And this, y'all, is where you can start to enjoy the process. What are some dreams that you've had for a while, but you can't figure out how to achieve? Have you always wanted to do things like learn how to dance? When my mom was still alive and she was in her 60s, she started taking tap dancing lessons. She'd never tap danced before, but she found this group of women all about her age. They were they called themselves the tapping tapping grannies or dancing grannies, something like that. But they got together once a week. They performed in some nursing homes. They had a ball. Were they the best tap dancers in the world? No. But they were a lot better than when they started because they didn't know how to do it. So don't be afraid. Figure out what you want to do. Uh, have you ever wanted to take cooking lessons? When I lived in Houston, uh, my husband, I think, was still, my late husband was still in dental school. I found an uh, Italian cooking course that this one guy offered. His name was Tim Wheat, Wheat like the grain. So I thought, well, that's appropriate. And I learned how to make homemade pizza and homemade spaghetti sauce. I still make them both. Um, I make the, the pizza dough. I make the sauce. I make the spaghetti sauce. It's really good. And I had never taken much cooking before at all, but I had a ball. And I've taught several people how to do that now from what I learned. Have you ever wanted to go skydiving? That's kind of on my bucket list at some point. I'm not sure when. I'll let you know. Have you ever wanted to travel to Europe? Become a master gardener. I know a lot of places have these programs and they're usually local because one of the things they emphasize is plants that grow well in your area. And I've had friends who have taken the course. It's usually about a six month course, um, but it's very comprehensive. It's really fun. It's one of those things that if I ever have time, I think I might like to do it, but not yet. Have you ever wanted to start your own charity? That might be fun. This next one is on my list and that is to swim with dolphins. How fun would that be? I love that. Or take a cruise. Don't limit yourself on your thinking or dreaming. Too often we talk ourselves out of trying things that we, we really might enjoy because they're just not practical or they don't feel realistic or attainable. Give yourself permission to dream big and, and just not have to be practical. Just figure out what you think that you would enjoy, practical or not, and go for it. If you can't figure out what you want now, and some people can't, try to think about things you wanted to do in the past that you eventually did put away because they did not seem practical. Um, like when you were in college, maybe you wanted to run a marathon one day, or maybe you wanted to uh, climb a mountain or learn how to, I don't know, snorkel, whatever. Think about some things you used to want to do. That's a good starting point. You may not still want to do all of them, but you might but it's a good place to get going. And when you're figuring this out, take some time on this step. Don't try to do it in a 10-minute session. You may need a few days to a few weeks to think about it, and that's totally fine. As you think of items, add them to your list and jot them down so you don't forget them. Odds are when you have a few items on your list, those items will suggest other items, so your list will end up growing organically. Once you know how you think, 
how you want to think, act, and feel. You've taken a huge step forward. Because y'all, if we don't know what we want, we're probably never going to get it. I've said that for years. And here's some other famous famous people who've said something similar. Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. If you don't know what you want, you will probably never get it. It's very similar to what I said. Uh, Mae West, everything's in the mind. That is where it all starts. Knowing what you want is the first step toward getting it. Absolutely. And then Steve Jobs, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. Everything else is secondary. So true. So all of the above quotes are really good advice. Just keep telling yourself that you are perfectly capable of making changes in your life. You can do this. So the action steps for step three, figure out how and where you want to be instead of where you are or where you have been. How do you want to think, feel, and act? Okay. This is roughly half of the process, but I'm stopping here because otherwise this is going to be a really, really long uh, podcast. I don't want to do that. So I will continue this in the next podcast, episode 37, I believe. It will be Claiming Your Identity Part 2. So we'll do that then. Now I am going to talk about uh, a Waco fact, fun, a fun fact from Waco. So Baylor has a collection of what they call the Texas Collection, and they're celebrating 100 years of it. This was established in 1923. They've been collecting things for that long. It's a special library. There's an archival research center and uh, a university archive that collects, preserves, and provides access to materials that document the history, heritage, and culture of Texas for the Baylor community and the public. The Texas collection features some rare, they call it Texana, I guess, in a special exhibit. And this year, uh, yeah, because it started in 1923. So 2023 marks the 100th year anniversary of the official founding of the Texas collection. And they're having a full year's worth of special events, promotional materials, fundraising efforts, and major projects. And people are invited to join them as they celebrate their centennial under the theme, Texas, your Texas. So I think that's pretty cool. If you ever need some material for Texas, if you're doing some type of research project, a book or whatever, then you might try Baylor University and see what they have there. Okay, that is it for this podcast episode. I want to thank you all so much for joining me. And to just remind you, along with this podcast and with Waco Hypnosis Center, I am available for public speaking. If you are interested in having me for an event, you can contact me through my website at www.drmelissarich.com or you can email me at info at drmelissarich.com. So y'all, if you enjoyed this episode or any of the episodes, I would so appreciate it if you would do any of the following. One is give me a review. Five stars because, hey, it's amazing, right? So give me a good review. Share the episode. You can do that. There are the little three little dots down, especially if you're on the Apple podcast and it, there, you just click the thing to share it. You can put the episode on your Facebook or Instagram or whatever. Tell people how amazing and helpful it was. That would be great. You can follow my podcast and you can just tell people, hey, 
I have this great podcast that I'm listening to. You would really like it. Um, I would appreciate any or all of that. I'm working on building up my audience and social media is not my strong suit, but you know what? I know that some of you all are experts at it. So I would appreciate it. Thank you all so much for being here today. Again, we will finish this topic on the next episode and I hope to see you all then. This is Dr. Melissa Rich, taking care of your temple. Thank you all.